0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Free City Church, my name is Casey and I'm one of your pastors here at Free City. And first, I want to thank all of you who reached out to me to offer to buy me a Spotify account um, because you didn't want me to guess on what music was coming next. But I also want you to know I declined because my uh, degree, undergrad, was in mostly classical culture, Greek mythology, and so I'll go with Pandora. Uh, But I do want to thank you for thinking about me, and I also want to thank you for filling out uh, the Free City Survey. Uh, man, we are working through um, your responses. We've already read through all of them. And I, wanna, I so appreciate uh, the creativity of some of the responses and some of the jokes that were sent in, but also a lot of the thoughtful questions. And so we are considering those things uh, with great, great care. And this Sunday, um, we are meeting with a leadership team to decide what's next. And so we are looking at what's going on. Uh, We're looking at your all's comfort levels and our church as a whole and our city. We're also looking at rising numbers. And I just ask you to pray for us. Uh, Pray that we would have wisdom and that we would have courage, that we would also remember that worshiping together is so important for aligning our hearts and our soul. Uh, We'd also consider our neighbors, and we would think through this creatively. Pray for us. And the good news is we have a God who loves to answer prayer, He loves to give wisdom to those who ask for it, and he is the God that knows the end from the beginning so he can lead us in courage. Please pray for us. Last week, Ryan handled the topic of family and work together. Uh, He he mostly did that because I I gave him those verses, but also because of great, great conviction that that two callings that people might find themselves in called to a family or or called to a vocation, they're two callings that can often work against each other. And so he even ventured into the latter part, the very first part of the spiritual warfare to show how that's also a spiritual battle. But this week, I want to talk a little bit more um, just about work. I, I want to talk just a little bit about, about work, but I, I don't want to lose the tension that, that work and family can also have against each other. I mean, I mean, how many families have been sacrificed on the altar of careers? How many marriages have been broken for career advancement and ambition? And it's not it's not just secular jobs. I mean, how many pastors have lost their family because, under the guise of, I'm trying to grow the church, where they were just growing their pride? Like, these things can be dangerous. And it's not just like family. Like, I realize that this describes some of you who grew up in a family that didn't have a dad around or didn't have a mom around or mom and dad just passed like ships in the night and eventually it led to divorce. I understand that you know how this can be effective, how this can hurt. And so handling those intentions is really important, I think. Or even to say this, People walk away from their spiritual family, their brothers and sisters in Christ. For, for career advancement all the time. Sometimes when there's an opportunity for career advancement, everything might be considered uh, or nothing might be considered against the idea of promotion and more money. When you might look and say, I am in a place where I'm growing spiritually. Should you not at one point maybe consider that God might want you to be a part of that spiritual family? And that is all here. Like, we've seen that in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 15, it says that God is taking divided people to make one new man. It's like a family. One new man out of divided people. Even people divided in hostility. It, It goes on in verse 19. It says, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens of a heavenly kingdom. A kingdom that will be fully established here one day. You know, if you look at the end of verse 19 in chapter 2, it says we are members of the household of God. Brothers and sisters, if we look at Acts chapter 2, there was such generosity between the brothers and sisters of Christ that they were selling property to hold it in common to help people. And Free City, you have helped a lot of people. It goes on in Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 to say that we are being joined together into a holy temple in the Lord, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you're a Christian... We have a spiritual family and it has this profound oneness and you're part of a new kingdom that's coming that is housing the special presence of God. I bring this up just because as people walk away from earthly families for careers, sometimes people wrongfully walk away from spiritual families like it should be considered. And so when we look at this idea of career, it actually, you know, one of the dangers when we look at career could be summed up in what we see in Mark 8.36, where it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So much is sacrificed at times for vocational success. Last week, as I, as I was listening to Ryan Uh, teach about work and family, there was something about work that really caught me, like brought encouragement and conviction at the same time. I was really haunted by just one word, stewardship. And I I remember just thinking, like that word is weighing really heavily upon my heart, just stewardship. And then later in the week, I I was talking to a friend and the idea of work came up, of the idea of careers and calling. And once again, like when we started to describe it, it felt like a stewardship issue. Like, how does this text talk about stewardship of work and calling? And then later in the week, man, I was just at a really low point, just kind of felt overwhelmed uh, by everything that was going on and just kind of feeling alone. And I was sitting with Kinsey. I came home for lunch and I was sitting with her outside, and she actually sent me away. Like, she sent me away and said, You need to go talk to Jesus. Like, you need to get away and don't go to your office because you'll get busy doing other work. Go find some shade, even though it was like 103 degrees. Go find some shade somewhere and just listen to Jesus. In Free City, I I did. I, I went and I first ran. I ran until my brain was quiet. And then I just walked. I just do better in activity. And man, just the same thing as I was preaching to my heart, that same idea of stewardship was haunting me. It was convicting me, and it was encouraging me. You see, for the believer, work is a calling from God that must be stewarded toward the coming kingdom of God in a way that makes much of Jesus because we will answer to Jesus for our work. And so, I I don't know if you heard, those are my three points. We are going to focus on three words that we find here. One is uh, assumed in it, and the words are this, calling. The calling of work, it's assumed in the text. And then we're going to look at stewardship. The stewardship of work, it, it's assumed in the text. And then we're going to finally look at um, accountability. The accountability for my work. You know, and, and as we get started, we've got to wrestle with two words that we find in, in verse 5. You know, Ryan pointed these things out. And it's just worth pointing them out again. We come and we see these two words come out right away. Bond servant and masters. Bondservant servant and masters. And like the word for bond servant, Ryan pointed this out so well. It's the same word that's translated as slave. And what translators have to do is when they look at the context to decide, is this more on the slave side or is this more on the bond servant side? And they can categorize the same person in the same way. But, like, when we look at this, we need to understand, like, our history, we have used passages like this, like, in the American experience, we have used passages of this to support things totally contrary to the teaching of Scripture, totally contrary to the heart of the gospel. Like, our country, the churches in our country at times have used this language to exploit and hurt people. And so when we talk about this, I just want, there's a major difference from the first century context of bondservant and master compared to like our American experience of chattel slavery. Like there's a major difference. And so I want to run through really, really fast, just kind of show you some of the differences. And so just some fast points on American slavery. First, it was racially driven. Uh, American slavery was almost entirely racially driven. Slave traders went to Africa, sometimes using other tribes, oftentimes using other tribes, to kidnap families and individuals and people to put them on a ship to ship them to America like it is estimated that from like the early 19 or the early 1700s like 36,000 Africans a year were kidnapped and that group number grew quickly to over 80,000 a year during the 1780s that's our context or, or, you know, slavery then was, for, in our context, the American slavery experience was a lifetime. American slavery was a lifetime status for most, meaning once you were a slave, you were a slave for the rest of your life. Or our experience was, you know, generational. Children born in slavery were therefore property and they were slavery, usually divided from their family. Or, we just say this, they were seen as possessions, not people. Often accounted as equity in the estate. Seen more as implements than people. Weren't seen as people created in the image of God, worth of dignity. They were seen as something else. It was an evil institution to which its legacy still plagues us we're still talking about it. It still plagues us. It puts some unequal footings. It's a legacy that has darkness, and that darkness has far-reaching consequences. And just as people of the gospel, people with the light, we have to be willing to shine the light of the gospel in all those dark corners. When the Bible talks about bondservant and master, it's not talking about that experience. And so the first century Roman experience, it was not all good. Don't hear me say that. It was not all good. But when the Bible uses the word slave or bondservant, depending on your translation, it's describing something very different. First off, it was usually caused by debt, and so there was such a there wasn't a such thing as declaring bankruptcy. You can't just say it. You have to declare it. There wasn't such a thing as that. And so what would happen if a debt couldn't be paid, people would take the option to sell themselves into servitude to, to pay off the debt to that person, or someone would buy their debt and they'd put themselves. And so it was a limited time. There, there was choice often in the in the manner. And it was for a limited time, like sometimes it was because of war. Sometimes defeated captives were taken involuntary as prisoners of war. Sometimes people who found themselves in in servitude was because they were discarded children that people would come and save and collect. But almost always in the first century, there was a time when those people would be freed. And actually the term bond servant comes to represent someone who had given their time of servitude, and yet they are now freed. But then they decide, I don't want to go work for anyone else. I will be your bondservant. I will choose to stay here and be a part of your family and work for you. And what would happen is they would take a nail and they would pierce the ear to, to designate. They are free, but they choose to stay. And so in the context, when the Bible talks about this relationship, it's not talking about a perfect situation. It's not talking about a situation that didn't get exploited and people weren't hurt, but it's talking about something very different. And so it's better for us to understand this is boss and worker. It's talking about something different, but if the comparison between the culture doesn't do anything for you, think about what we see in Leviticus 25. Think about the heart of the scriptures. Leviticus 25, it, it describes what's called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was roughly every 50 years, the seventh seven year, what would happen is uh, land that had been bought off other family lines because of debt was supposed to be purchased back or given back every 50 years. Every 50 years, anyone who found themselves in slavery was to have the opportunity to buy themselves out or to be freed altogether. Every 50 years. I mean, if you think about that, that's like once a generation, there's almost like this do-over experience. Like the idea is that a family line won't be so destroyed and so crippled that it can never come back out of poverty or can never come back to be back on top. It's this idea of like we want to do over and a start over. It's an idea of value. God was leading his people to look at the inherited land and to say, "No one should ever be expelled from the promised land. They have a stake here." And the sad thing about the Israelites' history is they never did it. There's no recorded history of them ever doing it. But thus we see the heart of God, that God would lead people in incredible generosity so that families wouldn't be lost and would see that they have no place in the promise in the kingdom of God. And so this is the context. Like now when we read Bondservant here, it is far from a perfect situation, but it is nowhere near the same violent atrocity that the African-Americans experienced in America. And so now let's look deeper at the text. The first thing that I wanna, I wanna focus is calling. Like calling. It says work. And this is how I describe it. Work is a precursed calling upon our lives. It happened before the curse. Verse six, look at verse six with me. It says this. It says that it is doing the will of uh, the will of God from the heart. And so it just got done talking to workers, and it says, Listen, as you work, do as the will of God from your heart. And so right there, that will of God is like calling language. The Christian view of work is that it is a good calling from God for humanity to participate in the creative activity of God. This we see from the very, very beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see this happening first with God and then we're included into it. And so the calling idea is in the heart of creation, like if you look about it, we're going to see these type of things in Genesis one and two. We're going to see how God feels about work. We're going to see how God desires to include us in His work, and then we see, like, what happened to work in Genesis 3. And so the first question, like, how does God feel about work? Now, I, I didn't ask how you feel about work. That can be up and down. How does God? feel about work and in genesis 1 and then we also see in proverbs 8 god loves it god loves it he loves it and he joyfully participates in it he participates in as creator god our god loves work and that is so different Matter of fact, if you remember, if you look at Genesis 1, and you can go look there. We're not going to go and unpack everything there. But you see this rhythm where God, as an entrepreneur, he envisions something that's not there yet. He sees void and darkness and nothingness, no order, just kind of chaos. And he envisions something different, and then he calls it. He works it into existence, and then he celebrates it. You know, in Proverbs 8... You can turn there with me if you want to. In Proverbs 8, specifically in verse 22 through 31, what happens in the beginning of that, we'll pick up in verse 30, is we see the account of creation. Where it goes through almost the same progression, where it personifies wisdom, which is probably more like the Holy Spirit, who was present. The creative power of God was present with God. And it describes it, which is joy and expression. I mean, it says, you know, God was doing this and we celebrated. It talks about the seas and it talks about the land, it talks about the skies and it's celebration after celebration after celebration. And then in verse 30, it says this. Then I, personified wisdom, the Holy Spirit. Then I was beside him like a master workman. We were working together like a master workman. I was daily his delight rejoicing before him always rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. In both Genesis 1 and Proverbs 8, God is doing this creative, entrepreneur, laborious work that is bringing order to a place where there is no order. At the beginning of Genesis 1, the earth was without form, void of life, void of order, covered in darkness. God sees it. God envisions something different. And then He joyfully works To bring order to the voided darkness. At the end of his creative work, the land is rich with life. The waters are teeming with fish. And mankind is living in a garden where darkness once existed and voidance once existed. God's creative work brought about a garden out of the bleak of nothingness. And it gave him joy to do so. So in looking at calling, we first need to see, how does, how does God think about work? And it says He loves it. He loves to participate in work. He loves to orchestrate work. He loves to bring order out of chaos. And if that's your life, if your life is chaos, God wants to work in your life to bring order. Remember, I'll, I'll go further. God wants to use other people in your life to help bring order. He loves to do so. If there's darkness in your life, God loves to bring light to darkness, and he loves to use his people to do it. So how does God feel that? He loves it. Now, the next question, what does God desire in work? He desires for us to participate with him in work. Still in Genesis, Genesis 1, look at verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, this is the creation account, and God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, now, this is pre-fall, pre-sin. And so when it says that Adam and Eve were to subdue it, that means that although God had made all things good, they were still somewhat undone. And so he was bringing them in as partners, as viceroys, as people to participate in his creative power. And so the best picture that I can have of it, when we take like an Isaiah set or Isaiah 14, when Satan has now fallen to the earth, you know, some things are corrupted, but God established a garden. And then he's looking at Adam and Eve and he says, participate with me and let's expand the order and the beauty of this garden. He includes us in meaningful work for his kingdom. You know, it goes on in verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has breath of life. I have given you every green plant for food, and it was so. When it says, Behold, I have given you, it is God placing meaningful work under Adam and Eve's care. This is a steward calling. This is a steward calling. He's saying, like, look, look what's all around you. Look where you are. Look what's around you. Care for it. Work with me to cultivate it, to expand it, to help it reach its fullest capacity. There was more work to do, and God called them to participate with him in meaningful ways to accomplish his purpose in his world. You know, verse 31, it goes on, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very Good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Like, did, did you see that? Like, God even established work in a work week. Like, for six days there was working and then he rested. Like, that means God loves the weekend also. Like, that is good news. In, in C.S. Lewis's uh, first book of the Narnia series, The Magician's Nephew, it depicts this creation account really leaning in on Proverbs 8 and Genesis 1 and 2. And it, leans and it shows Aslan walking through an inhabited earth that started very, very void, singing life into existence. It talks about deep sounds as the seas were formed and then light sounds as the grasses and flowers popped up. It was a creative work of beauty. And this is the picture of what God has done and he is still doing. It is a joyful, artful, creative, entrepreneurial experience that God loves and he's called us into. It's a calling. And there's, there's nothing like that in all of antiquity. You know, you you could study the the Babylonian creation account. And so you could study the Babylonian creation account. What you're going to find is two warring gods set off to war. One killed the other, and from its carcass, the earth was born. So that means at best, we're the byproduct of hate and war and difficulty. And then if you look at their experience of work, they describe it as we're lackeys for the God. And if we don't work well, God punishes us. Or you could look at the Greek and Roman view of work. The Greek and Roman view of work was actually a lot like ours, like it's a necessary evil. Like you live for pleasure and you live for leisure. You just try to get through work so you can have that. And if you're really successful, you work very, very little so you can have lots of leisure and lots of pleasure. That's not what we see in the garden. That's not what we see in the heart of God. We see God calling us into meaningful work to expand His kingdom, to be a part of what He does. And it covers way more than what you might think. The Bible is alone in describing work as a good calling from God. For Him wanting us to participate in His world. For Him wanting us to be meaningful in the kingdom of God with the works of our hands in maybe even unlikely ways. And so there's two pitfalls that I see. You know, two, two pitfalls in our, in our culture. One is the idolatry of leisure. You know, we, like the Romans or like the Greeks, see work as a curse often and leisure as the meaning of life. And so we live for 5 o'clock and Friday. And when we do that, we don't enter in to participate. We don't dream about what God might be doing. We see our work as a necessary evil to get to the better parts of life. And there's nothing wrong with leisure. It's just if you leisure too much, you will ruin yourself. And if if that's your God, if leisure's your God, you'll never see what you do as meaningful part of the kingdom of God. As as I was talking to to Matt Deeg, who you're going to see more and more stuff come out in the future about these vocational groups, you know, opportunities for people in like fields. Maybe it's academia, or or maybe it's a service role, or or maybe it's like a teaching role. I guess that's academia. You're going to see more and more like, how can we get together to help instruct others, you know, to help instruct others what it means to be a part of, of the kingdom of God and to see your work as advancing the kingdom. When I was in Warrensburg, I had a friend, he was a pilot. And he found himself in my office, and we were talking, and he was asking this question. What does it look like to be a Christian in this world, in my pilot world, where these things happen? And I remember thinking, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any idea. But I remember thinking this, and I remember saying this. His name was Garrett. I was like, Garrett, I don't know exactly how to advise you To be a part of the kingdom of God as a pilot in the United States Air Force. I can definitely tell you things that are not okay because of direct commandments. But I don't know if I can fully advise you in that. But this is what I know. There is a way for you to honor God and be a part of his expanding kingdom there. And he's equipping you and others to find it. And So that's the whole idea of vocational groups. And it might just be changing the vision of what you do. It might just be changing that vision. But like if we prioritize only leisure and work is a necessary evil just to get there, we will never ask those questions of how does God want to use my participation in this world with how he has skilled me to be a part of the kingdom of God. But there's another danger. A very Western danger. And that, that danger is the idolatry of work. Like we err Sometimes in the complete opposite view, we don't you know, work to find real life in leisure or other things. We live to work. All our identity, all our worth is found in our work. So when, you know, when we're doing well, like we feel good about ourselves, but we're willing to sacrifice everything to be there. And when we do that, there's actually something going on in our heart that's never going to work out. We're trying to establish a righteousness before God and before men. We're trying to tell the world, I have weight, I have meaning, I have rightness. I matter because of this. And those things fail. Work was never meant to establish your identity, but it was a calling that you could participate with God. And so the first, like, man, God loves work. God God calls us to join Him in His work But now, what's wrong with work? You see, work is not a curse. But according to Genesis 3, specifically 17 through 19, it has been cursed. See, after we declared God to be untrustworthy, we sinned. We said, I don't know if I can trust you, but I'll trust my own voice. I'll trust the voice of another. And we walked away in a byproduct with something broke in the world. And so now when we try to participate with God in his kingdom, it just doesn't work out in the same way. This is why work can be exhausting and frustrating. This is why farmers have to work so hard because, because they don't just grow crops. They also grow thistle and weeds and they have to fight pests. This is why like, we have to work so hard against the elements. This is why relationships at work can be so hard because we're filled with envy and sin and they clash against one another. This is why people will use others as stepping stools for success to establish their righteousness before others. We looked at God and we said, you're untrustworthy because it seems right to me. And in Genesis 3, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. And it goes on and it says in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Because of sin. Because we listened to our inner voice of reason and dismissed the trustworthy, good instruction of God, participation with God to bring His good purposes in the world. It's hard. It doesn't always work out, it's not always easy. And then if we take this you know, on, what we do is we find like an Ephesians 6.6 6, where it says work is a calling, it is doing the will of God in the Genesis 1 and 2 and a Proverbs 8. And it describes work as a good calling from God that He wants us to participate in, that He wants us to be a part that has meaning. And we say, it's too hard, I don't believe it. Tim Keller in, um, in his book, Um, Every Good Endeavor, he says this. He says, Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine. But food for your soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work and thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And I know reading that can be hard. We have people who just graduated from college and they can't find any work in that field. We have people who have lost jobs because of everything going around with COVID-19. I have a friend who has been wrongfully terminated. And when you see the evidence, it is so wrong. And he's feeling some of that void. See, we start in a garden in Genesis 1 and 2, but we end in Revelation 21 In the city of God. How does a garden turn into a city? Work. Entrepreneurship. laborious, beautiful work. Creating systems and structures and sanitation. Creating things that keep us from getting sick. You know, having homes to dwell in so that we can raise families and schools to go to so we can educate our kids. Like, all the civil orders. Having police officers because they don't hold a sword for nothing. Like, there's a problem in the world. We have to fight against wrong. We have to fight against sin. Like, all of these things are coming about. And the entire span of the Bible says those could be participating in the kingdom of God in meaningful ways that we may never get to see on this side of eternity but they matter see god calls us into work but now the word that haunted me the stewardship of work this text says that work is a stewardship working toward the coming kingdom of god L- look at look at verse seven in verse seven it says rendering service with a good will and then this is important as to the lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does he will receive back from the lord whether he is a bond servant or is free it says we work as to the lord not to man and that means that there's a stewardship toward god in how i work and what i do and i just i really want to focus on really like Two things that this says when we think about stewarding work. And so the two things that I think we should talk about first is, like, work can be evil. There is evil work in our world. There are evil jobs. There are evil, like, institutions. Work can be evil. Like, and then the second thing is this, like, we can be evil in our work. And so first, like, there is evil work. Like, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I think it's actually obvious. There is a porn industry, and it's evil. There is worker exploitation, and it's evil. Like, people are used as cogs and discarded at whims, and it's wrong. Like, slavery happened and still happens in less obvious ways. There is evil work. Like, corporations cut people to raise stock prices half a percent. And if the bottom line is driving every decision, it's evil. Like, there, are, there's evil. Yeah, I, I mentioned it. Like, one of my good friends just got wrongfully terminated. Like, it's wrong. It's really clear to everyone that you know, business is slowing and they're looking for any reason to get rid of people. And so they trumped them up on some stuff. Like, it's wrong. You know, our country has a dark history of exploiting the poor, denying opportunities uh, for minorities. There is evil work. And then there's also people who see work differently one of my friends his name his name is Caleb he's a contractor and man he sees the work of building and remodeling and refurbishing and renovating. He sees that work as his kingdom expression. And when he talks about it, he says, I, I dream of what God might do in the places that I remodel. I pray that God might reconcile marriages or like dreams might happen in people's minds that might change the world. Like he thinks in those terms. And he thinks in the terms, if we start in a garden and we end in the city, a lot of houses are going to have to be built between now and then. He thinks like that. You know, he's been so busy. I was just talking to him, he said that he's hired like four or five new full-time employees. And so I think he's up to like 11 full-time employees. I mean, I was just blown away. I mean, God is using him to provide for like 11 families in the city. That's meaningful. That's a part of the kingdom of God. like, And if he sees it and he dreams about how can I change them, like, it's not wrong for him to make profit. It's wrong for profit to be the only thing making decisions. He dreams about how he can impact his workers, how he can make their life and his job more reflective of the kingdom of God. You know... He dreams about things like, what if God uses his kindness and generosity to save people and his contract and company to provide for them? Like that is good stewardship of work from a heart that is captured by the gospel. But some work is evil. You know, the, the, the other thing, like, and actually, if you've been keeping up with the Bible reading plan, you just read Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes paints the picture really, really good. Over and over it says it's nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and rest and work with his hands, do meaningful work. He says it over and over. But then he talks about how his life got messed up because of all the ambition of when making work God, it didn't come through. Or when making profit God, it didn't work out. Like there's a danger in that. There is evil work. In a Romans 6.13, it says, Do not offer our faculties to evil, but rather use them for good. And so the first, you know, we talk about stewardship. Like there is evil work, but we can also be evil in our work. You know, in verses 5 through 9, You know, Paul shows us two ways that we can just disregard God in our work you know one way is getting away with as little as possible just getting by it doesn't honor god and the other way is demanding putting demands upon people that go well beyond kindness well beyond reason and consideration it's exploitation and, and so look at this first working as to the lord will not let you get away with as little as you can like that's a way of exploiting your job or your employer. In verses five, it says this, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, <clears throat> with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, just when they're watching, as people pleasers, but as a bond servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. God loves it when we work diligently. God loves it when we want to see like our work matters to him. And he loves it when like that work actually matters to us also. God loves to reward those who are faithful with little. Because he says when you're faithful with little, I will entrust you with much. God loves to do that. He has a parable. He has several parables about it. He loves to do that. Sometimes we sin when we just try to get away with as little as possible. Sometimes we sin in our work. You cannot work as to the Lord. You cannot work as to the Lord and exploit people. In verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same to them which means work hard in a way that honors the Lord, honors a calling to accomplish his good purposes in the world. And it's all the things that he just said, like, don't just try to get away. Don't use like your leadership. I'm in charge to be lazy. He says, like, you've been entrusted with something. So bosses, you've been entrusted with something. Everything we just said to the, your workers, we're saying to you. And then it goes on in verse 9, it says, And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Like if there is one thing that's very clear in the Bible, it's that God hates it when people exploit other people and use the power that's in their hand to do it. Like if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, because you haven't really read it, but you want to know what I'm talking about, you need to Google these words, the widow, the orphan, fatherless, the poor, the alien, stranger, or immigrant, depending on your translation. Because over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see the activity of God and the heart of God saying, I defend those people. And I want to express my goodness and my kindness through my people. That their heart might be like my heart. And that they would have a generous hand toward them. They'd be generous in their time. They'd be generous in their possessions. They'd be generous because the heart of God is generous. And so in a worker, you know, boss relationship, he's saying, bosses don't, don't lead in such a way that exploits. You can be sinful in your work. But now, you know, what what captivated my heart to want to add to last week's sermons was this idea of stewardship. And and I know some of you uh, are working a job that, I mean, you just don't see it going anywhere. Like you don't love the, the job that you work. And there's still a stewardship thing that comes with that. And if you're wrestling with that and you don't see calling in it, like I encourage you, get in a life transformation group. Get with other people and start to dream and pray. I I don't know how the kingdom of God is expanding in this area. I I don't see how that's happening. Start to pray about it, and maybe you will see, or maybe God will call you somewhere else. He says, Work as to the Lord. Find meaning and purpose. It's work. I know people have graduated, find no jobs in their field. I know people have been terminated and had to file for unemployment. I know that people are being asked to do more and they're being paid less to do it. I know that there are parents who have sacrificed careers to raise their kids, to really invest in another calling. And at times that just hurts. I, I know. And if that's not working as to the Lord, I, I don't know what is. Like, like, working as to the Lord isn't just a reminder for, for, for you know, non-Christian work. Like, it's not just a reminder. Like, Kinsey sent me away because I needed to get with God to remember a Romans 14. I needed to remember, I needed to answer to Jesus. Romans 14, it says, listen, you don't judge another servant. You know, they have a master and they're going to answer to Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes as a pastor, I I forget that I'm answering to Jesus and I start to think I'm answering to you. And and there is accountability. I answer to leaders, but I start to think that, Man, I just have to convince you to want to come back or convince you to want to come back to bring a friend. And I forget that sometimes, man, I just answer to Jesus. I forget in the same way, working as unto the Lord. Because sometimes I... Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're in uncharted areas and... I mean, it's just, it's just hard. But if God has called all of us, whether in church or in different vocations or even in a parent vocation, if God has called it and He said it as good and He wants you to participate in the kingdom of God, it means that we need to dream more deeply about what that might be. A blog that I follow, it's about um, you know, God's calling into work. The author, the, the main guy who started that, man, he tells a story of being at a conference and sharing about this idea of God's calling into work and saying, like, the most profound things, like the smallest things that you may think have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, God might use them in incredible ways. And we need to dream more about that. We need to see it connected to the kingdom of God as a good, purposeful calling that's putting me to bring about his kingdom, whatever that finds itself in. Later after the conference, a Hispanic man came to him, an older guy, and he was in tears. And he started to describe to him, he said Man, I've worked at this restaurant for for many years, and I just wash dishes. Man, I'm back there, and I try to evangelize to my coworkers, but they don't want to hang out there because it is like hot and muggy and humid. And so I'm back there. But when I'm back there, I just pray. But if what you're saying is true, if my labor is as unto the Lord, if I'm working for God, if what you say is true, every dish that I wash might have eternal value. Every dish that I wash that is placed between a couple that reconciles a relationship, you're saying. I I have a part of that. Every father-son talk that happens where where there's reconciliation or direction, you're saying, I might have a part of that. Every time that maybe two people get together to dream of some entrepreneurial work that makes this world better, are you saying, I have a part of that? All that happened was he used the biblical view of work to raise that man's vision to then pray something more bold. God, would you use this to bring about the kingdom of God? There's a calling to work. There's a stewardship of work. And there's an accountability to work. This says Jesus will judge the way we steward our work. Verse eight Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or free. Like God will have a, an opinion. God will look at how you worked. God will look at how you participated. Did you just think about your household or did you think about others? Did you just think about the bottom line and stock shareholders or did you think about others? It goes on verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. It's saying we are accountable to God for what we do. And we won't be able to look at God and say, but, but the, stock, you know, the stock shareholders. We won't be able to say, but, 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 but my boss. Or to say, but, but, but the profit line. We'll simply be accountable for how we participate in the kingdom of God through a calling of work. And we need to dream bigger. Dream and pray. And we're able to do this because the creative power of God that lets nothing go to waste. He says he will wipe away every Nothing goes to waste. The creative power of God. Like, do you see the creative power of God working around you? Do you feel a calling to that? You know, 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about the body of Christ and the church, it says we're equipped differently. We're called in different ways. But we're to participate in the body of Christ in such a way and participate in this world in such a way that we're part of the coming kingdom of God, that we show what's coming. We are missionaries demonstrating a different kingdom with a different ethic. And this world is not going to understand that. But they can marvel at the beauty of it. You know, God worked to make a perfect world and we despised His rule. And the result of our sin, it was cursed. Work is not a curse, but it was cursed. And do you know why He did it? See, He entered in to work to undo the effects of the sin. Like we look at the cross. God entered in to come under to do the hard work of the cross so that we might participate in the kingdom. You see, look at Jesus's life. When the poor are cared for, when he cared for the poor and he preached the good news to the poor, it was the creative power of God undoing the curse of sin. When Jesus healed the sick, the the, the mute, the lame, the demon-possessed, he was undoing the power of the curse and establishing a new kingdom where it worked differently, where sickness wouldn't reign, it's subjected to him, where elements couldn't reign, they're subjected to him. He was demonstrating a new kingdom, undoing the curse. He worked in his life to undo the brokenness of the curse. When Jesus Turned over the money changers in the temple. He was undoing the corrupting powers of sin to establish a church. To establish a people. To change. To change us. In John 19.30, as Jesus was dying, right before he died, he says, it is... What was finished? The work of our salvation was finished. Jesus entered into a cursed world to participate with cursed work, to become a curse in our place. He entered into a calling to work for God's purpose, the saving of sinners pray with me. Jesus, Lord, I just ask this. I ask that you would make us bold and more creative. I ask that you would captivate us with these words, you know, calling, stewardship, accountability, and we would start to figure out how to apply that to our work. Like, we would dream bigger. And Lord, there's going to be so many surprises as participating in the kingdom of God, there could be a dishwasher who like, has so much credit for the changing of so many lives because he prayed over every dish and prayed that God would use his work to bring about the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that we would dream like that. Jesus, I also pray that you would, we would let you work for us. Jesus, I pray that you would st- we would stop trying to establish our own righteousness before men and others by the works of our hands, and we would trust the nail-scarred hands of you. We would let you work. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Free City Church, I hope to see you soon. I love you more than you know.